0: Reveille, reveille, dogs! Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Without peer in the industry, often imitated, but you best believe never duplicated. This is Morning Combat, Friday, August 6, 2018. And 21, the cure for the Common Fight Talk Show. My name is Brian Campbell, the BBC with that B-D-E, Showtime, CBS Sports, the labels that pay me. And you know my co-host. He's 42 years old. He's freshly cut from the barbershop. He's a great guy, all right? I'm a little hard on the edges, right? Right? (laughs) You know, he's got a horrible diet. I mean, you know. know, No, it's better now. I mean, we can run down a lot of, you know, issues with the guy, but what a great fight analyst. It is the one and only Luke Thomas. Luke, how are you on this weekend?
1: I am uh, doing well, and you're right. Often imitated,
0: but never duplicated. Yeah, you yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, fuck your favorite show, all right? <laughs> all right? You know what I'm saying? Even if it's this one, please, please do that, actually. Wow. That's right. All right, right. Uh, Luke, um, let's start right here. Happy birthday yesterday, my friend. Okay. 42, you still gifted us with a live chat because, you know, YouTube.com slash morning combat is every day, uh, all day, all that. And then some uh, tall, pale, and handsome. You were still there. You had your daughter in your lap. I mean, what what a, what an event. Um, I'm so glad you made it around the world another year, Luke.
1: It's another chance for us to collect checks a whole another year. Uh, thank you. It was fun. I had a good day, and I'm ready for the show today. Did Something you indeed
0: out. throw axes? As your Instagram pick, I, I did.
1: I did. went to an axe uh, throwing place here, not too far from my house, and uh, it's fun. It's a li- like the problem is you know you rent it for the hour. It takes you a, at least for me. I couldn't quite get the distance right for how far I needed to go, and by the time the hour was up, I had finally gotten it. And then it was like, oh, we're done. And I'm like, because I, I didn't so, want to rent it for another hour. So, so, so unlike you know. most
0: people, Luke who grab drinks and just throw shit and have fun, you spent the whole hour scientifically trying to master it, and then you ran out of time. Sounds I was also a,
1: drinking. Sounds was also a lot drinking.
0: like your career before you met me, Luke, but I was happy to see that you got out there. Normally you have an axe to grind with the industry, but now you are on top of it. And speaking of that, Luke, uh, the, the the podcast award season voting is upon us. That other award we told you to vote for, that's over. But how about the World MMA Awards? Your favorite show, Morning Combat is up there for Best MMA Programming. So, look, you know, Luke said it a million times, he's not going to be moved too much either way. But I care about it, and I believe we can win this. So if you do too, head over to worldmmaawards.com slash nominees, make your pick for Best Show uh, Embedded. I think we're up against Joe Rogan, a couple other cats in this space. Uh, We're honored to be in this conversation. Also, as I told you, YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Look, we're hitting you over the head multiple times. Three live shows per week. So many great bonuses. Luke's live chat on Thursdays. And we got some fresh interviews for you to check out. UFC heavyweight, Cyril Ghosn, I sat down with. I just recently chatted with Errol Spence Jr., the unbeaten unified welterweight champion, who, of course, takes on Manny Pacquiao August 21st. And Luke, unless, unless the shit falls apart... Today, right after MK ends, I'll also be chatting with the great Manny Pacquiao himself. So, a lot of good stuff on our channels coming your way. If you want our good stuff also on your body, right? Yeah, look at this shit right here. Wow. MorningCombat.store is the best place to buy our gear. Then take a picture of yourself wearing that gear. And then send that image, of course, to MorningCombat at gmail.com for every Wednesday for fan subs. Today, of course, is dead wrong. Uh, we we love our family here. They're weird, right? People giving us sausages, some guy putting tats on his body, but we love them all. So shout out to all our great peeps, Luke. Um, it's good stuff. Anything else, Luke, I should sell or can we set the weekend? Let's do it, buddy. All right. If I forgot anything, producers, I apologize. But let's get into it. We're going to set the stage for the weekend to come. And it's a fun one. Four fights, okay, and it all goes down. Saturday night, the big one. UFC 265 is the name of the pay-per-view. Houston, Texas, the backdrop. And the interim light heavyweight, or excuse me, the interim heavyweight championship is on the line when hard-hitting Houston native Derek Lewis takes on Cyril Gahn, the Frenchman. And uh, Luke, we have set the stage for this one on Monday and Wednesday storylines. We we looked into the chat I had with Cyril Gunn about his incredible backstory, which really, like, what is he, three years into MMA, two years in the UFC, nine and oh? I mean, you don't really see this type of run this side of Brock Lesnar, so let's give him his flowers. But on Friday, all people care about is who is gonna win this fight and how. Luke, our partners uh, in the betting space have been rebranded as Caesar Sportsbook, and right now they have it like this. Minus 370, Cyril Ghosn is your favorite. Plus 290, Derek Lewis, the king of the puncher's chance, is your underdog. I know you probably watched the the face-offs, the press conference like I did this week. As we go in one sleep away from this fight going down, what will be the difference maker, X's and O's, in terms of who will be next for Francis Ngannou?
1: Yeah, the numbers just don't paint a great picture for Derek Lewis. Now, again, sometimes those numbers don't tell you a whole lot because he has found ways to win either, you know, most notably the Volkov fight, where he was losing basically all of it until he wasn't, and then even more recently where he was sort of up against it's not quite right, but, you know, wasn't favored to win against Curtis Blades and then sent him to the land of wind and ghosts. So you just got to understand what you're dealing with with Cyril Ghosn, man. And and you can see it, you know, BC, without even really looking at the fights. Like, take, for example, this press conference yesterday. Cyril Ghosn just continually diffuses everything you had uh, a french reporter kind of antagonizing him and he was like f you and uh cyril gone he didn't really respond you, you had derek get in his face he just didn't really react that much that's kind of how he fights um he has a bit of a reach advantage two inch reach advantage he's a little bit taller which doesn't matter so much but really this is where everything c- kind of comes to, to life strikes landed per minute 5.13 which is very high anything above four is very high strikes absorbed 2.6 i mean his strikes landed to strikes absorbed is basically 2x that is that is a very uncommon especially at heavyweight in fact i can't remember another heavyweight with these kinds of numbers i've ever seen i mean that's what we're talking about here very very special at landing at distance setting it up um and you can see also 21 percent takedown accuracy He has 100 takedown defense but 21 percent takedown accuracy Why does that matter? Because a lot of times, he's really not trying to take you down. He's either faking or halfway going through the motion to set up something else. He confuses you, he lands, and then he moves along. He is capable of devastating finishes. He is capable of, um, you know, I think, putting the fight away. But I don't think he's really going to go out of his way from a risk management standpoint to get there. You're going to have to get a guy like lewis to like fake an injury or fake being hurt and then throw those big uppercuts that he does sometimes you're gonna have to catch him uh gone making a mistake blah 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 like here's the reality man we've said this before i got this from trevor whitman it's really true what separates people at the elite level is great 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 fighters they don't make a lot of mistakes they either have to make one on occasion or you got to make them make one Derek Lewis probably is up against that challenge because if gone is the gone we typically understand, you know, Lewis, I, I just don't really know what the real... There is a path, of course, but the probable path to victory is is going to be gone's.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like it's like... Okay, we're past the interim title label and bullshit and all that. It's not a real belt. It doesn't need it on here. But, you know, Dana got interviewed again by John Morgan this week and said, you know, interim titles are great. We love them. So, you know, we can all fuck off in that regard, Luke. So let's put that behind us. It's a great fight on paper, but you know what it could probably look like for three, four, I don't know, five rounds is Cyril gone landing the jab, being quick on his feet, giving different looks. Uh, switching stances, being nimble, and Derek Lewis waiting for that one mistake you mentioned, waiting for that big moment. The problem here is Saragon hasn't shown us the mistakes at this highest level. He's been great. He's been efficient. He's been uh, against Volkov in his last fight. I thought he actually went for the knockout, and there were moments he looked spectacular. Um, in his eyes, he's already faced a challenge just like this in Giants, Zirino Rosenstruck, and yet, no, I can't pronounce that first name ever consistently. But, you know, he feels like he's already kind of dealt with that, the threat of big power, but knowing he has a better all-around game. I think the X is going to lie in... Some of the stuff we said about Derek Lewis this week—that he's been—he fought injuries a lot. He fights the sort of whether it's a, an act or whether it's real. I don't want to say laziness, but he doesn't love training. He doesn't love a lot of these things. He tries to just be the "I'm not that dangerous." Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. The fight's over. We know that that's his trick. But at the elite level, there really aren't tricks. You fight, and who's better ends up winning. So, Luke, will we see anything different from Lewis? Then exactly what we just said. Take a lot of jabs and then try to stay close enough and wait for that moment. Do you see him coming out with leg strikes? Do you see him trying to take the fight to the ground? Do you see Derek Lewis doing anything different than what he he always does is stalking with that big right hand? Because that's the only way I feel like this fight is going to go off script and be anything but either a gone five-round decision in which he looks great but doesn't get the finish and moves on or... Derek Lewis scoring another late, you know, you know, uh, amazing knockout. Is there any other type of script for Derek Lewis and company when they're looking at tape and they're trying to figure out game plan wise what to do here?
1: This to me, like if you're trying to understand this fight, maybe you haven't seen a whole lot of Cyril Gons fights. Obviously, they're very different. This is not this is not a uh, exact comparison, but I would expect something along the lines of Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz. It's going to be something like that. I think is probably the closest I can think of. Certainly for outside this weight class, where one guy is pretty clearly better than the other guy and can manage the fight for pretty much the entirety, but there is a big explosive possibility where something could go wrong for him. That's really going to be up to Derek Lewis to, to, to find it. I, you know, that's just not a great way to to like your chances. You ask about something different, takedowns? No, not really, because again, a guy like um, Gone has 100 percent takedown defensive rate. I, I would say though, BC you know, kind of making it ugly, trying to blitz him, those are going to be things that potentially gets some countered over time. But if you can make the fight hectic, if you can make the fight, like as long as the fight is being fought at distance and they're kind of like, you know, barely touching each other and then gone, changes angles and moves along and then you just repeat the cycle over and over. That's not a fight Derek Lewis can win. I think we can all, probably even Derek Lewis would agree. That's not a fight that he could win. He has to do something much, much different. So I do think there's going to be some kind of pressure from Derek Lewis trying to close the gap, so to speak, so that you can not just between him and Gon, but between Gon's back and the fence. The the more you can shorten that accordion, so to speak, the more the range of options that Gon has to both throw weapons and escape gets narrowed. I think you are going to see some of that. Probably he's going to try and clinch with him a little bit, but you know Gon's going to do that Holly Holm thing. I suspect. He's gonna have to clinch, break, and stay on his horse. So it's a tough fight, man. It's a tough fight for Derek Lewis. It is winnable. He has game-changing power, even late. We all know the story, but he's gonna have to find a creative way to limit the movement. Really, that's the key. You gotta limit the movement of a guy like Cyril Gon because if you don't, you're just going to get lit up over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, in Lewis's potential favor here is that Ghosn really hasn't shown us one-punch KO power. We have questions about the elite level of his power. I know he told me, look, I got nine fights. I've got three submissions, three knockouts, and three decisions, so I can give you whatever you want. Well, can you give that at the highest level? Lewis has a good chin. But in what goes against Lewis is above beyond Gon's skill level. Lucas, he's shown us five round stamina. I mean, really good five round stamina. He's shown us a lot of things. As long as Gon doesn't really see an opening for a finish and overcommit too much in going for that, this is his fight to win on paper. So you're going to get the betting value if you love Lewis. If you love him in his hometown, if you love plus money and the one punch knockout power, you're going to get that in Lewis. Throw your money at that all you want. I probably would too, right? But the pick is Cyril. Gone. He's the better fighter at this point, and I haven't seen any of those um, foundational holes that tells me this is the time he succumbs or gets too nervous or does something you know sell you know impl- to implode himself. I just don't see that, Luke, at the end of the day. So unless Derek Lewis has yeah. this calf striking plan that we have never seen before, you know, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. I love the guy. Luke, I want to see him take his bol- pants and underwear off and win the title and just dance around. It's not going to happen, Luke, okay?
1: It would, be, it would be amazing for him to win, we, in which we've discussed. Two things to keep in mind. Cyril gone, at least, you know, the, the nine fights into his career, this will be his tenth. You know this as well as I do. He doesn't have overwhelming firepower that we've seen. That's really not why he wins. He has, obviously, a strong offensive ability. He can put guys away with his strikes. It's not, like I said, he doesn't suck or something. He's good at it. But it's not over, listen to my words, it's not overwhelming firepower. But what makes him so formidable is that, yes, his offense is quite good. Very good. Dude, you know, his floor is so high. All of the, you mentioned it, all of the foundational pieces of his game, and especially the modern era where guys stand a little bit further apart, he's got that on lock. He's not going to wow you with you know the, the amazing strikes that he lands, probably against a guy like Derek Lewis, at least not early, but catch, see how many mistakes a guy like that makes. Not many, dude. Not many at all. His, his basic floor from which his game is built is already super, super high. The other thing to keep in mind here, BC, is it looks to me like UFC is telegraphing that they think is going to win. There was an article that came out yesterday, it's quite good, from Mark Ramondi over at ESPN MMA, talking about how the UFC has long-term visions for certain parts of the world for uh, global expansion. And we'll see how this ongoing pandemic affects them, but one of the places that they had highlighted, BC, was France. For folks who don't know, France is just a bevy of athletic talent, including but not limited to... Uh, combative sports, they have their own kinds of kickboxing. There, judo medals. There, they're only second to Japan in terms of medal count in judo. Like they're very, very good at it. And to me, it just looks like they're setting up a scenario where we're like, oh, we've got well, one is from Cameroon, but you sort of French-speaking, French-raised um, uh, to a degree, um, a French-lived scenario between Francis Nganu and Cyril Ghan, In addition to all the other pieces of the puzzle that make that fight. Pretty interesting. It looks like to me they're they're heading in that direction to prime the pump, so to speak, for that market.
0: I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. And I don't think it's, you know, jinxing themselves or getting out ahead of themselves to to say that's their plan. I mean, Luke, right now the first thing I'd be doing is check out the height underneath the Eiffel Tower. How much headspace do you have? Can we fit an octagon under there? Because that's where that fight deserves to be, Luke. Uh the sport had been banned there for 15 years. Like you said, there's a lot of talent there. It's no different than saying, hey, China's the 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 area that no one in combat sports has really claimed. We're going to build a PI there and go after it, and then they got that perfect storm of Wei Zhong knocking out uh, Andraj to win the title on Chinese soil. Um, look, by the way, will you go to your grave like I will in the Kimbo Slice Houston Alexander fight, uh, believing that uh, maybe Andraj was was paid to take a dive there? I don't believe it. I'm just asking about your grave, really, right now. I'll prepare. Andraj? Yeah. Some people believe that, and like a in a complete conspiracy thing, like to to boost business in China. That maybe Andrade ran into oncoming traffic on oh, purpose. I don't believe no, that. Though. No, I don't no. think so. That's some bullshit, Luke. Okay, yeah, but no, look, the expansion makes sense. It's 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 where it belongs. Did you take anything to close here on this about Louis? Um, Being a little aggressive in the stare down. Like Dana tried to separate them and then Lewis, like, no, I'll be cool. But then he got right in Gon's face and put the fists in there. Did that, that seemed a little out of character for the normally, like, I don't care. I'm just happy to cash this check Lewis. Is that a little, you know, Ronda before the Holly home to you?
1: I don't know about that. I think he's just trying to give the Houston crowd something. You know, it is his hometown. I think he does feel some kind of an obligation to, you know, pump everybody up. And uh, he can pump himself up too. who knows, but I, 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 I just think that that's um, hometown theatrics and it doesn't do doesn't mean shit to a guy like Cyril gone. So, you know, it is what it is.
0: All right, Luke, I want to focus on a pair of very important title contending fights within separate divisions. This co-main event, Bantamweight, we know the storylines here, Brazilians galore, Jose Aldo, the king of Rio against fellow 34 year old Pedro Munoz, both coming off of wins, which halted losing skids both with big-time power. Did you find it interesting at all, Luke, in the press conference where Aldo basically said, in the past, my game was so striking heavy, that's what I focused on, now for the first time at 34, which, you know, uh, I, I'm an, I'm trying to become a complete mixed martial artist. Luke, does that tell you that he's planning to wrestle? Like, I can't even imagine that. What did what, you take from that?
1: He's got. He's always had very, very good defensive wrestling. His takedown defense for years was the best, maybe in all of MMA for a time. Certainly the best at featherweight, by bar none. And people had a very hard time taking and holding him down if they could do that at all. So the, on the defensive side, he was always very good. Remember years ago, Gray Maynard went down to Nova Uniao and was like, holy shit, this guy's takedown defense is legit. Um, now he's adding to the other side of things. But remember, in the Gi, as a brown belt, he beat... in the world championships now obviously Cobrini went on to much greater heights at black belt but you know the dudes kind of always had the ingredients of a ground game if he wanted it and you know listen if you look at his numbers they're not spectacular in the in the in the sense of having um sort of impressive proportions he and Pedro Munoz slightly ever so slightly but they both have negative differentials. They get hit more than they land. That's sort of surprising to hear about a guy as decorated as Jose Aldo. But you know, a couple of those Max Holloway fights, the Peter Jan fight, they kind of yeah. begin to add up a little bit and it's messed with his numbers a little bit. So to me, between 34 and you already have these like something of unexplored abilities, no, I don't think that's crazy at all. Plus, Pedro Munoz, man, he's surprisingly nifty on his feet. He also gets hit a lot, but he'll stand in the pocket, he'll trade. He'll he'll put himself in danger to put you in danger, and sometimes that works out for him. Frankly, I understand it. Munoz, by the way, no slouch on the ground himself. Some of the best guillotines in all of the UFC. I mean that. He's very, very crafty about setting them up. His finish is excellent. But yeah, I kind of like Jose's attitude. Mix it up a little bit. Why not? You're 34. Take a little less damage. Control
0: the fight a little bit. Put some ground and pound on him. Yeah, let's see it. I also like Jose's comments where he said, essentially, when he fought Jan... He was just trying to rush into a title fight, which I think tells me that like he may have thought the window was going to be small at bantamweight. Maybe he didn't know, you know, age-wise mixed with the wear and tear on his body, if he can withstand that for a long time. So his idea was just go full speed. Let's get it, you know, as far as we can go. Okay, he lost that fight. Now he wants to almost reset, take it slowly round out his game, as I mentioned, but, but really try to, you know, sh- systematically and strategically climb the ladder, which this is a big fight potentially for that to reposition him for another big fight to get back into that title picture. So I like that attitude. And that shows you the confidence level that he can maintain this weight and that it's not killing him. Do I have questions if he could become a, you know, Dagestani like a uh, drag and repeat wrestler and and really yank at that gas tank considering how hard it is to cut down? Well, no, I don't think he's going to go out there and be an offensive wrestler. I think he'll still be the same guy. But the real question as you look at the odds and as you look at how you handicap this, Luke, uh, right now Caesar Sportsbook has Aldo, minus 115 is the favorite, minus 105 for Pedro Munoz. They're very similar short of Aldo's 5-inch reach advantage. Do you think Munoz is on this version of, of Jose Aldo's level?
1: In terms of overall ability, no. I don't think he's that level. Um, however, the one thing he does that could be a real problem is, one, he's got decent knockout power. Uh, he's obviously battle-tested as well. Has a nice winner for Jimmy Rivera. And as I mentioned, he can snatch up subs out of nowhere, too. So he should not be—for folks who are like, oh, Aldo's going to run him over. I mean, I, I would imagine Aldo would win, but, uh, you know, this could get a little troublesome— the one thing is, while he has a negative differential with his striking BC, it's at nearly six strikes landed or absorbed per minute. That is very high. So what does that tell you? This dude is throwing a ton of volume. A ton of volume. Almost, not quite, almost one and a half. Well, actually, almost, almost 2x of what Jose throws. Not quite, but you, you get the idea. That That is something where if he can consistently pour on the pressure, and maybe some of it's having success and maybe some of it's not, but you have a guy at Bantamweight who has a rough cut, he's able to make it, test that gas tank a little bit, put him on the back foot a little bit. You know, he doesn't mind getting hit. It's part of his DNA, quite frankly. And so if you have that, that will allow potentially over time some openings. If you can withstand the punishment that a guy like Jose can dish out over time. I think that kind of onslaught of forward pressure volume, it, it listen, that's a punishing way either way to fight. It's hard for the person doing it. It's hard for the person who is receiving it, but it's not a bad way to win a fight if you can maintain it. And, and, uh, I would say a guy like Aldo should be able to to beat that, but that could get real dicey as the fight goes late.
0: Yeah, Papa, I hear you on that. Look, I think all those words are one thing, Luke, but at the end of the day... At Bantamweight, he's a headhunter. He is who he is. I think these guys are going to go to war. I think both will get hurt. But I think Jose Aldo gets the stoppage. I think Munoz is a little bit too in love with being exciting for the fans and swinging for the fences. This is his biggest opportunity. Although, obviously, that Garbrandt win still looms pretty large. Um, I think we're going to be celebrating Jose. Luke, I love the shit out of old Aldo. I never loved Jose Aldo in his prime. Respect. Respect, right? But never like actively cheered for the guy love i don't know i love i always love old athletes when they're when they're still trying to linger and find that greatness and you know you can you can relate to that we're, we're washed dads we can i guess somewhat relate to that in the over, overall sphere but i'm kind of you know the fan in me is like come on jose bring that bell again brother all right that's all i got on that thank you keeping it going luke welterweight michael kiesa against vicente lunke same type of um stakes in a way to a uh, two top ten guys, but maybe a quicker path to the title potentially for the winner. And as I said Wednesday, maybe potentially if that winner is Kiesa, you can disagree or not all you want. But Luke, Luke, a slight favorite here as I f- look at the finalized odds up to this point. Uh wow, they're closer than I than before. Minus 115 Luke, minus 105 Kiesa. He was plus all week. It's obviously striker versus grappler. Here's my deal, Luke. I hinted at it earlier in the week. I think Luke can can look great against marginal or, or mid-level competition. But sometimes he looks marginal or mid-level against great competition. I don't think Chiesa is great, per se, like a completely well-rounded, great fighter. But I think this is the best version of him we've ever seen. If he can get quasi-great, I think it's enough to subdue what Luke does best, which is just full-speed attack you. I think this is going to be... Uh, Kiesa taking it to the ground early and often and kind of having his way overall. Yeah, he'll have to, you know, accrue some damage when they stand, but I like Kiesa big here, Luke. Talk me off this ledge.
1: Big, I don't know. I think Luke is a pretty tough customer. His takedown defense is at 65%. That's pretty good. Um, you know, he's got his own submissions that you saw. I don't think he's as good submission for submission, ground for ground. As a guy like Michael Chiesa, fine. But, you know, uh, if you hurt a guy enough, then the submissions become a lot more applicable. You set it up perfectly. I don't have a whole lot to add. These guys have the exact same reach. It's striker versus grappler. They both have a pretty decent amount of experience. Again, at the elite level at welterweight, Luque has a little bit more of that than a guy like Michael Chiesa. So we'll have to see what, to what extent, if at all, that matters. Um, the only thing that's kind of interesting is you look at Chiesa's numbers, B.C., He's got crazy numbers, nearly identical, landed and absorbed, 5.74, 5.78, almost the same. These are the numbers for Michael Chiesa. This is the one part that might get him in trouble. <clears throat> strikes landed per minute, 1.89, strikes absorbed, 1.71. So what's the story there? Well, the good news is he doesn't take a lot of damage, hardly any. The bad news is there's hardly any ground and pound. There's hardly any striking volume, less than two strikes landed per minute. That's not a lot. That's actually pretty low for a guy this elite. So what that means is, typically, he has to win on control. is probably going to be a hard guy to control for the full 15 minutes. I, it can be done, obviously. In fact, guess I don't know about the odds, I forget exactly how you read them, but is probably going to be, um, if not the favorite, you know, slight underdog. But if your whole game is kind of predicated on a little bit of ground and pound and a lot of control... That's very labor-intensive, and if you don't exactly get the control that you need, um, you're going to be in trouble. Like, Habib had a lot of control, too, but, dude, he would rain down punishment, and he would rain down punishment in transition to get better opportunities at control and then to get better opportunities at ground and pound. He was really good about kind of reinforcing it in this cyclical way. Kiesa's uh, not quite that kind of dominant uh, top-level guy. He's a little bit more Colby covington in the way he does things so um but a bigger submission threat i would say he's is a, is a pretty good submission threat so to me it's what i'm looking at is i, I, I suspect he'll get control but i want to see how much ground and pound he does and how easy that control comes maybe it won't matter bc maybe he'll get the takedown and that'll just be that and we can ride <coughs> it out for 15 minutes but if he's having trouble with it the lack of follow-up ground and pound could be an issue
0: yeah, this is going to be interesting. This is a very, very close fight on paper. Despite my leaning Kiesa, it's going to probably play out that way. Uh, Luke, quickly on this very good women's strawweight fight. You know I love this. A rematch six years in the making when Angela Hill and Tisha Torres square off. Luke, Angela Hill was in the plus 300s earlier in this week. It has come close. Minus 140. Tisha is your favorite. Angela Hill plus 120. I have to believe those odds reflect the fact that Tisha somewhat, you know, won a decision six years ago. We won handily, but as was talked about at the press conference and as we've seen play out, Angela Hills just a different fighter. And that most recent victory against Ashley Yoder, I felt like she was trying to be a dominant stopper. She didn't get the stoppage, but she was violently going after it. Uh, it's hard to beat Tisha Torres. In fact, I'm not even sure anyone has off the top of my head, Luke. She's durable. She's elusive. But I think Tisha in some ways have ceilinged meaning She's got a great motor, she's aggressive, but she doesn't have fight-ending power. And I think this is an opening here for Angela Hill to, to redeem that, and I like the sauciness between them, Luke. Maybe you think that's a a, a flaw in my character, but Mark Raymondi, I see you up there, brother, trying to stir the pot a little bit, and he got what he asked for at the press conference. I'm ready. This should be a good one.
1: Well, Torres had like a three- or four-fight-losing streak. Up until recently, she has two wins um, uh, to, to get things going again, what, whereas uh, Hill has won three of her last five. She dropped one to Watterson and Cadelia. although there's a certain amount of controversy there. You're right. Angela Hill is a different fighter, completely different fighter, much better decisions. And the thing that gets me is uh, her work rate. Jesus Christ, man, she is always busy, whether she's moving, feinting, throwing, landing, putting combinations together. I'll say this. I think you're right. I think a a person like Torres is going to have to blitz a little bit, which she's pretty good at. She's obviously good at kicking range stuff too, but I don't think she can match the volume. And she has good volume, but even her, I don't think she can match the volume of somebody like Angela Hill. If Angela Hill, the one criticism I would have, and I like Angela Hill a lot, and I think she has come such a long way, is that she, she doesn't take her foot off the gas exactly. But she's got a little bit of that Emmanuel Sanchez problem, which is, you know, you can go for days throwing offense for days. If there's enough of a difference between you and your opponent in terms of who has landed, that should be enough to win. But if that number gets narrowed a little bit, even if you did the better work, it becomes harder for the judges to discern what actually happened. You need to put a gap on them. And if you don't put a gap on them, you need to really put devastating strikes together. Now, this is very easy for some dumbass like me on the podcast to say, but it's just the reality. To the extent that there is narrowness between the numerical and qualitative striking between two opponents, dude, it's like you're just—it's a guessing game for the judges at that point. And they're going to— get it wrong. It is inevitable. That's actually, in their defense, BC, it's very hard to judge when someone lands 10 strikes versus 8 strikes and you're trying to parse exactly who had the better ones there if they all kind of look, you know, roughly about the same. That's really difficult territory. If I'm someone like Angela Hill, I'm working on that work rate, keeping it up, but back at the gym, I'm working on what are ways I can find to meaningfully move closer to finishes, to really find devastating openings. What are some things I can do to bring that to bear? I am sure she has done that. It would be very valuable for her to, to, to use that tomorrow night.
0: And I'm certainly not writing off Tisha Torres. I give her a lot of credit after that four-fight losing skid, which all came against super elite competition in this division to come back with two wins. When you lose four in a row, your job's on the line. She's only 31 years old. Yes, those two wins came against, you know, marginal competition. But, Luke, she's in tremendous shape. I know that was a big talk at the press conference where Tisha referenced uh, Angela's comments about, you know, pre-USADA and post-USADA and all that. But let's give Tisha credit. I know that her best wins came early, Particularly in Invicto, she beat Paige Van she beat Rose Namajunas, beat Felice Herrig. But, you know, she's, she's lingered and she's found a way. I, I think her problem is that she's just not a finisher. So when somebody's got weapons a little bit more than her, they've been able to outlast her. But she's very durable and very game. So this should be a very good fight. And Luke, to close the main card, here's where you have to tip the hat to the UFC and kind of put that interim conversation behind us. This main card are all bangers that are basically pick on the betting odds. This bantamweight clash to open could end up being the sleeper in terms of fight of the night when we get Casey Kenny as a minus-120 favorite against plus-100 under, underdog Song Yadong, Mr. Faber's product there. Uh, both could use a really big win in this crowded division. Luke, are you leaning either way here based on their history?
1: I found that the power of Song Yudong is not to be trifled with. He has legit, uh, serious knockout power, but Casey Kenny is scrappy as shit, man. Yeah. Um, really good about controlling fighters, finding dominant positions in the grappling, has a pretty high work rate himself, gets hit a little bit for my taste, which makes the Yudong fight, um, you know, could, could go either way in that sense. But Kenny is tough, man. He's really tough. So I would lean towards Kenny, but obviously Song Yudong is, uh, is, a, is, a, is, a,
0: is a force. Kenny, fresh off the split decision, lost to Dominic Cruz, but he's the guy, Luke, who had that famous soundbite of, let me bang with somebody, please somebody come on and bang with me so i'm always cheering for that guy luke song you dong by the way uh i think that you know only 23 years old i think we still haven't come close to seeing the best of him his days will come but if you can get a big win here those days may end up coming sooner luke very good stuff right there you've already talked about that prelim main event of bobby green and Raphael Fiziev earlier in the week is there any other fight that that jumps out to you that you're really looking to see who gets the edge this weekend
1: um, that would be more... I mean, I can't believe Ed Herman's still fighting. I mean, what is happening there? That Short fuse, baby. Fucking A. And he's fighting Alonzo Menafield this, like, destructive, terrifying knockout force. Ed Herman has taken a lot of abuse over the hey, years. Hey,
0: dude, I, Ed Herman's 40? He's riding a three-fight win streak, Luke, including one against your favorite barista, Patrick Cummins.
1: Fair enough. Uh, I'm not saying he deserves to be cut or that he's bad or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I guess what I am saying is, dude, I mean, he's been in the UFC since 2006. He made his debut against Kendall Grove. Kendall wow. Grove isn't even in combat. I mean, he had a great career but in many ways, but he's not even in combat sports anymore. Listen to these opponents. Are these opponents even active in MMA anymore? Jason McDonald, no. Chris Price, I don't think so. Scott Smith, no. Joe Dirksen, who used to be really good, no. Demian Maia, is he done yet? I can't remember if he's done yet. Uh, Alan Belcher, no. David Loazzo, no. Hey, Aaron Simpson, uh, no. Hold on. Alan Belcher Tim Crater, fighting. no. Kyle Noak, no. Clifford Starks, no. Jake Shields, no. Jacare is probably on his way out. Trevor Smith, I don't know what he's doing. Talis Laitis, no. Natal, no. And then, you know, changes a little bit after that. But Jesus
0: Christ, man. Yeah, Jesus indeed. Big fan. Luke, uh, Alan Belcher's fighting in BKFC or BYOB or is whatever the hell that bootleg other bare knuckle one is, so put some respect on that name, all right, All right, right all right. Fair enough. He once fought Sexy Yeah. Wow. Well, dude, Sexy does not age, Luke. I don't know what he's taking, but I'd love some of that. Definitely. Okay. That's weird. Well, that's all I got here on the UFC. Very good card for the hardcore fan this weekend, Luke. Uh, interested. And, and checking that out. All right, number two, Luke, and our topics this week involves that UFC heavyweight division. Dana White was on the Nelk Boys podcast. Luke, what the hell's a Nelk Boy? Are those, those influencers that are always backstage?
1: Yeah, they look like they deserve some wedgies, but uh, I, I don't really know more than that about them.
0: All right, here's Dana White's comments to then. Me and John Jones have had that type of relationship his whole career. When he's ready to fight, we are ready to go. He's talking about fighting at heavyweight, but in the heavyweight division right now, we are going back to Houston. Lewis is taking on Gon, and whoever wins that will fight Francis and Gaṇu. Whoever wins that fight, if John Jones wants to come back, he can fight one of them. Or he can fight Stipe Miucic. In fact, Stipe has accepted that fight and will take that fight. Luke, there's been talk on the interwebs in the last three days. Did the UFC do one of these things that they love to do, which is send a contract to Fighter B, have them accept it, even though Fighter A hasn't even been offered it, just to try to put that pressure or public pressure or reverse pressure? Where the hell do you think we're actually at to the idea of John Jones and Stipe fighting this calendar year? I don't
1: think we are. I would, I, I, listen, what the actual truth is have I spoken to Miocic or Jones's camp? Nope, I've not. I've not had any information shared with me. But just knowing the way that sometimes these things go, even yes, on what? On Wednesday's show, I told you guys, you know, Max Holloway's team was caught by surprise with that announcement. That was not a thing that they were expecting at all. And the UFC just went ahead and, and made a claim about it. I would be very skeptical about this claim, or at least at a bare minimum, let's say this. I would very much wait until there is corroborating evidence from both sides that there is interest for this fight and it, more than just interest like uh, uh, actionable interest because John Jones has been saying he wants to fight he would fight Stepe blah 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 but hey there are a series of demands that have to be met usually related to financial concerns and until those are I'm on the shelf so like if we just ask John hey do you want to fight Stepe I suspect we'll get the answer yes the question is are we meaningfully closer to that fight actually happening. And on that score, I'm gonna say no, until there is much more evidence to support that. I would be very cautious about these bold proclamations about what could be happening with some of these guys.
0: Now, one point, in fairness to Dana, he know, he's required to give a certain amount of fights offers to his fighters under contract, and maybe this is one they did offer, and maybe Fair. John turned it down, or maybe it just wasn't up to the financial wanting. But, look, I think if this is not that, and this is trickery that the UFC sometimes does, they got to get past that. I'm not telling them how to handle their fighters, Luke, but that's just a bad look when you're sort of, kind of lying it's like when dana says constantly oh john jones doesn't want to fight what that really means is john jones doesn't want to fight for what i'm offering him so that's where we're probably still at so again go behind closed doors and figure that out and if you don't have any news you know until then don't don't leak this kind of stuff go backstage sit down with him figure it out he's either going to fight or he's not but tell the truth bro you're on top of the game. Don't The don't UFC lie to uses me.
1: a lot of different mechanisms to kind of pressure some of these guys into doing things that they would prefer them to do. Um, it's not new. It's a little gross, if I could be honest about it. Um, and the reality is not every time, but it's effective enough that they can make it work. I think it was Errol Hawani who had a long tweet thread talking about how in certain cases, it's not uncommon for the UFC to threaten to strip a guy who's a champion in order to get him to, you know, uh, take fights on certain dates or against certain opponents or whatever the case may be. You know, that, that really, if there was a union, this would not even be on the table, I don't suspect, um, but there isn't. So all of the normal protections that prevent any kind of, let's say, arm-twisting. Uh, th- 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 those protections don't exist, so these guys are kind of floating out here in a situation where they got a very powerful corporate entity who has very important interests, and they need compliance to make that happen. So they're going to find creative ways to get compliance.
0: Now, Luke, the the to close on this, the the I'm not jaded, but the punk in me, right? The Josh Thompson and me is just like, all right, Dana, if you really want to see this fight, just pay for it, and you can see it, bro. But am I overlooking like, it, would this fight not be the pay per view? bonanza that that i'm trying to imply it would am i not understanding the full value of if they gave john the millions he wanted do you think that this fight actually because stipe is a name but he's never been a massive individual draw it's depended on his opponent a lot or if cm punk's been on the same card um do you think that this fight is not a big time seller if it was its it's lone pay-per-view main event
1: i think it would sell well I think it would sell well. I think John ha- again, John has sh- everyone misunderstands. They think either you sell a million pay-per-views or you sell none. And they don't really understand that if you can sell consistently 400,000 or more, 700,000, something like that, and John's been in that range, that 4 to sort of 7, a little bit higher at times obviously, but you know, consistently in that range, dude, that's a that's a, that's a money maker for you. Yeah. That is yeah. great business. That's GSP.
0: That's Anderson Silva. That's, that's it. That's the sweet spot, right? When, you know, like there's been, Luke, do you know how many Conor McGregor's, Brock Lesnar's, and sometimes Ronda Rousey's there's been in UFC history? Two and a half. That's how many there's been, all right? right. That's exactly. it, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So you know, is he on that level? No, he's not on that level. But against Miocic, going up to heavyweight, promoted correctly, BC, you know, greatest light heavyweight versus essentially the, the best heavyweight UFC's ever had. I, th- I think promoted uh, correctly, that could do, you know, 500,000, maybe a little bit more, something along those lines. So, yeah, that's a real moneymaker for UFC if done correctly, sure.
0: All right. Well, let's keep it going on the UFC news. This this goes actually it goes a little deeper than UFC, Luke. It goes to all pro sports and life, and it's the fact that uh, COVID nineteen is back and back in a big way, Delta variants, all that, Luke. A lot of talks about vaccination still, and now it's bleeding into the sports world. We've seen the NFL what re- require and mandate players uh, under their rules to do that. And no, Luke, maybe this man- is they're
1: not mandated in the NFL.
0: Thank you for correcting me. What are they?
1: Uh, heavily incentivized. Where okay. If you're vaccinated versus unvaccinated, like the things you can do when you're vaccinated is just so much more. And also the penalties where if you're unvaccinated and you get COVID and then games have to be, uh, if they can't be rescheduled, then you just take the L and you miss game checks. They basically made it not, it's not mandatory, but holy shit, the world will collapse on you if you don't have it.
0: Well, maybe this is an apropos time. Luke, I did not listen to your full live chat yesterday, nor see your daughter in your arms. I hear it was great, but I hear you dropped a a pipe bomb to bring CM Punk back into this conversation about vaccines. So I'll give you the floor in a second, but here's how all this started. Michael Chandler went live on IG and said this. I just saw that the state of New York is dropping some heavy mandates on the city of New York. Basically, they're requiring you to be vaccinated and show proof of vaccine for indoor dining, indoor fitness, indoor performances, and entertainment. Obviously, a UFC card being thrown at MSG is considered indoor entertainment. I will not be vaccinated at that point. I don't know how many fighters, if I was to fight on that November 6th card, or whoever is fighting on that card, I don't know how many fighters will be vaccinated. I don't really have a tally for who or who isn't. Luke, that, those quotes were then communicated in a sense to Dana White during an interview with TSN the other day where he said, quote, I would never tell another human being what to do with their body. If you want to get vaccinated, that's up to you. That's your choice. You're never going to hear me say I'm going to force people to get vaccinated. Never gonna happen. Luke, to follow up on that in the same interview with Aaron Bronstedter, uh Dana, and he also said it later at the at a at a media scrum, basically said, Look, if shit goes crazy again, I got Abu Dhabi, I got I got Houston, Texas, and I got the state of Florida, and I'll just be lapping that trio right there. So mm. that's where we stand there. Is that the right call, Luke, given the s- let's not joke given the super serious nature about the rising numbers and the fact that we could be close to going back under another lockdown i don't
1: think we're going to un- another lockdown i'm I, I i'm very skeptical that that would happen but even now here in my own city they have reinstituted mask mandates at least for indoor nothing outdoor but uh, independent of vaccination status any place inside the city now you gotta have a mask on it fucking blows but what are you gonna do here's where i want to come down on this I, I i've made my opinions about this pretty clear but This is, I'm just trying to get a lay of the land. People don't want to have this conversation, and I understand that, but it does impact sports. My my local radio shows have been talking about it because you'll recall, BC, at the beginning of the sort of the early preseason stuff, it was the Washington football team that had one of the lowest vaccination rates of any team in the NFL, and the coach, Ron Rivera, was like really kind of pissed off about it because the NFL and the NFLPA together had come and put a, a series of agreements in there where... If, again, if you're unvaccinated and you got COVID and it cost your team in some kind of way, the cost personally and to the team would be devastating. So they have reached nearly 90% as a consequence. They were less than 50%. So it shows that there are ways in which you can incentivize getting people who otherwise would be a little bit vaccine hesitant. I think to the extent that those measures can be explored, they should. Because here's where I think you have to understand something. The people who are now predominantly, again, there are going to be a lot of medical cases, BC, where, uh, not a lot, but there are going to be some medical cases where people are not going to be either vaccine eligible or won't be the right choice for them. I made a point, a buddy of mine's sister got diagnosed with MS. Um, She wants the vaccine. She was administered the vaccine, but her body, because of her medical condition, won't accept it. So she's just going to be unvaccinated. And There's going to be other folks who are going to not take it out of an abundance of caution given some other medical conditions. And I certainly understand that. But the reality is this. There are just people in this society who do not believe that they have a role to play in public health. They don't. Whether it is the mask, they complained about. When it was the lockdown, they complained about. When it was social distancing, they complained about it. And now it's the vaccine and they're complaining about it. Basically, these are people who do not want to do anything about it. And the reality is that's just not going to work. It's not going to work in the United States. It's not going to work in Canada or Mexico or Europe or Asia or Latin America. There is no world government, not one that is going to, certainly not one that UFC is going to go to, that is going to accept the idea that we're just going to let COVID do its thing. It's not, it's not going to happen. And so I would much rather live in a society, BC, where we can make these things elective. I do not necessarily want to see anything mandated. And I don't know if we're going to really get to that point, certainly with UFC. But this is the other part about it. Dude, the window on like you have the elective choice to do this is closing it's almost already closed in europe by the way and here you're beginning to see it pop up there is one way bc you know this as well as i do there is one way out of 2020 and i said this yesterday i'm not going back to 2020 what the fuck what the fuck is happening
0: you're still there <laughs> do you hear that yeah is that your family Are they have i don't party know what the, the fuck
1: that is <laughs> hold on put the thing on uh put the camera on bc i gotta figure out what sorry no uh, what i don't Dude, i just got <laughs> taken over by the exorcist what all the right fuck that? all right look just finish time my for point your, let me finish my point brand. my point is my point is only this if after every single attempt which is not intrusive with the mask which the vaccine is certainly a little bit more of a complicated medical decision i understand that but if at every single layer of that there is this constant resistance you are not leaving health professionals and, frankly, governments in charge of social order a whole lot of choice about what to do about this. And the other part I don't understand about BC is, you know, okay, you can go to Abu Dhabi, you can go to Vegas, you can go to um, Florida, you can go to Texas. But you can't meaningfully grow your brand in China if you can't go to China. You can't meaningfully grow, they, they want to have a big splash in France. Well, I got news for you. France ain't accepting any Americans who are not vaccinated. Right. I don't understand how you can maintain a worldview that doesn't support getting us out of a pandemic. Not so much for UFC and, and Dana White, but in more generally speaking to the combat sports community. If you want to leave the misery behind, and I know most folks do, people, you have got to understand there is no other door. There is no other choice. There is no other solution. There is one we either get herd immunity and you can maybe be that last straggler that doesn't get the vaccine or more commonly, you've got to get the vaccine. It is safe. It is legal. It is effective. It will work. It is our only path forward.
0: There's certainly layers to this conversation. You know, we started out by talking should Dana White mandate it. We never expect he ever will, you know, and he'll certainly his track record shows that he's going to go to any lengths to keep the show on the road. And I, and I respect that, um, and nobody wants to hear, per se, in theory, our combat show taken over by Vaccine Talk, Luke, although I respect your opinion. I have gotten a bunch of DMs of people like, if Luke brings up the vax again, I'm out of here. Well, if that's the case, then go, please, okay? Because this whole issue got a little bit more personal for me just in the past few weeks. Luke, you and I used to joke about me being anti-vax. This is pre-COVID, right? And I was only anti from the standpoint that I don't feel like the government should force you to do something that you're just against for whatever reason. I'm not talking Mark of the beast revelations necessarily here. I'm just talking for whatever reason, but yo, times are hairy right now. My parents were not into vex at all. And, they both have COVID right now in the state of Florida. My mom's been hospitalized for 2 weeks and is probably going to be there for another 2 to 3 weeks with breathing issues, although she was in great health before this. It's scary as shit. My dad also has COVID. Tried to go to the hospital. They didn't have, you know, really any room and he wasn't sick enough for a for a, you know, so they sent him home and he's struggling and you know, when it hit it's home like this. Um, you know what, folks? Listen to our show. Get vaxxed. Please. Please. Okay? You know, I don't want to lose my parents. I don't want you to lose yours. I don't want to, I don't want anything bad to happen. So, at this point shit is crazy. That's my personal editorial right now. Make the right decision for you, but understand that if you're not going to make that decision, it's going to be a lot of places, including the NFL, maybe Luke or whatever where you can't go. And that's going to be it at the end of the day because we all want to live. So, just uh, this last
1: thing. You you had framed the question, BC, and I'm glad you shared those details because you know, BC has been sharing some of the more specifics with his parents' condition. It's, you know, it's not a fucking game, man. It's not a game. The one thing I would say is, you know, whether Dana does or doesn't, I don't think that he will. If, if the NFL didn't even mandate it, I, you know, it, it, these guys are independent contractors, whereas NFL players are employees. There's no way they're going to mandate it. But here's the thing that fans who are on the fence or vaccine hesitant should, should think about, and fighters too, Dana White may not make you, UFC may not make you, Bellator may not make you, they may not even try, but what if all the places you want to go to to fight to get those big opportunities do? That is a real possibility. It seems a little remote now. I don't think it's going to be that remote necessarily in a month or two when governments, local, state, and federal, are trying to figure out some solutions to um, close the vaccine gap. And I think you're going to see a lot of people in a lot of territories who are going to employ this. Again, the EU, it's already fucking mandatory if you want to go over there from the United States. These are just going to be the rules of the road for a lot of different places Yes, you can just stay in your little hideouts with Vegas and 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 uh, and every other place, and you can make that work. But that doesn't meaningfully grow the brand. That doesn't. You can't really get and do the things you want to do unless you can expand and you can reach into the world. The UFC used to be the show that would go on the road, and they were in this place and that place and Uberlândia, Brazil. You're not going back to these places unless you have a measure of vaccination for the most part. So. Um, that's what you should think about is what happens when, forget Dana White, when the government in various places says yes or no, then you got a much yeah. tougher choice you got to make about your life and your, and your career. The good news is we have a great solution. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's look. When it, once it hits personal, it does change a lot. So uh, I wish everyone well out there. Let's keep the ball rolling, combat wise, Luke. Let's hit the Olympics in Tokyo as it's just about medal time in the combat game. Let's start in amateur wrestling, Luke. Wow, wow, wow! Just this morning, American and University of Minnesota stud Gable Stevenson uh, was fighting. Luke, is that I'm sure? Is that heavyweight or super heavyweight? It's uh, what one twenty five kilo,
1: one twenty five kilo, yeah.
0: Luke, this was – you talk about Clutch City dramatics in the gold medal match against G, uh, Georgia's Gino Petria, Petriashvili, who was basically called a living legend by the announcers in terms of his credibility. Gable Steveson was down three points with 23 seconds to go, Luke. He sc- scored a takedown and then scored another with less than a second on the clock – to pull off an 8-7 to seven victory. He did the backflip. He gave you all the kind of theatrics you would expect. Luke, this, I watched this in real time. This was exciting as all hell. Have you ever seen at this level, Olympics or NCAA championship, that type of theatrics to win it with no time left?
1: So what's funny about this is two things. One, David Taylor, who was a stud at Penn State, who he was constantly kind of under the thumb of Kyle Dake, Kyle Dake got... I don't know if you saw this, BC. I I might be getting some of these details wrong. If I did, please dead wrong me. It's okay. But I believe Kyle Dake, who was something of Taylor's nemesis for a long time, uh, him and Burroughs and other ones, but he, Dake, got tech-falled by a guy from Habib's village that Habib has trained with of all the crazy things in the world. And so I think he was trying to go for a bronze. David Taylor has been a guy who was an amazing Penn State wrestler, multiple time national champion, but had you know had and was world champion too, you know to be clear, but you know had kind of not really seen his full 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 potential because there were just always these other hammers on the team taking up slots. Well, finally he broke through and he got a gold medal with last minute heroics as well. I think I think with inside the twenty or even fifteen second mark, he wrestled. Um, you know, a gold medal away from his opponent, which is just unbelievable. But the one you're asking about, Gable Stevenson, dude, literally, I, I wasn't even. It was like one of those uh, shots in basketball. BC, you weren't sure if it got out of the shooter's hand before the the shot clock or even the buzzer rang. Uh, but he did, dude. This is what they mean in wrestling about who wants it more. Yes, there is obviously a degree, and in this level, at Olympic wrestling, for crying out loud extraordinary technical specificity and athletic ability, no doubt about it. But dude, sometimes those things are more or less equal. Sometimes those things are more or less on par with one another. And what matters is, did you just keep wrestling? If you go back and you look at how Gable Stevenson won it, his opponent was kind of coasting a little bit and was wrestling from his knees, which is harder to wrestle from one like Gable Stevenson, who was on his feet. He was the guy who, at the last second, kept wrestling. At the last second, wanted it more. That's what that means. And 99 times out of 100, that probably wouldn't have worked. But the one time it did work was in the Olympic gold medal match. It will be a very long time before you see something like that. And the last thing I'd say about this, BC, is if you guys don't know who Gable Stevenson is, Anatomy of a Fighter did a huge special on him. I highly encourage you to check that out. This kid won the NCAAs just this year. God help those bastards. They had no chance against him. Now he wants to do MMA and pro wrestling. He is the complete package here. Blue chip prospect, amazing athlete, Olympic champion, and he wants to do pro wrestling and MMA? Holy shit. I hope this kid has... Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I want to get to that in a second. Uh, There's no N in his last name, and they're pronouncing it Stevenson on the uh, broadcast, so let's put some respect on his name, if that is the correct way. Um, Luke, he had not given up a point throughout this Olympic run, and then, like I said, had won this Olympic final, I believe, 8-7 or 9-8. But, Luke, in those closing seconds, you talk about presence of mind and commitment to the craft. It actually was reminiscent of the buzzer beater Christian Leitner hit in the 92 Final 8 against Kentucky, only from this standpoint, Luke, where when, when... Leitner caught that three-quarter court pass from Grant Hill that was like 2.1 seconds. Do you remember they kept talking about the presence of mind? He didn't just throw the ball up. He caught it. Did a fake one way, faked another way, took a dribble, and basically used every ounce of that 2.1 seconds to perfectly set up a clean look and a clean shot to win it. That was the only thing I can compare this to because as the seconds are winding down, I'm like, oh shit, this, this kid's going to lose here. Bro, go for it. What are you doing? You know, I don't know a ton about amateur wrestling, Luke. I don't know what I expect if he's going to do like a DDT or some kind of pro wrestling move. No, I didn't know what the hell he's doing And then it was over, and he won like that, Luke. So the commitment to the technique and the craft under pressure against a guy who on the broadcast they were talking up this Ishvili is like the guy, Luke. Wow. Wow. It's like when you are – we already knew we had a – a future star in different areas in Gable. I mean, he's named Gable, first of all. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a lot of pressure being put on a young kid with with wrestling hopes. We've already had Triple H and all the WWE folks tweeting about him ad nauseum. Gable's talked about going there. When you he has got like almost Brock Lesnar level freak athleticism, maybe not completely comparable, but like, you know, same type of deal where you're like, bro, put him in a rest, in a pro wrestling ring. He's just gonna physically do whatever he wants. But I was gonna ask you about the fact that he has not seemed to rule out MMA, how much do you think now we don't we don't know is striking and in in, you know there'd be a learning curve, but do you look at him from what you've seen as like, oh yeah, future MMA star if he wants to be?
1: Here's why you should be very happy because Jordan Burroughs, when he came out of Nebraska, um he kind of was like toying with the idea, you know, kicking the tires a little bit on the idea of MMA. And Daniel Cormier kind of, you know, uh, I don't think personally talked him out of it, but he made a point of being like guys, we want USA Wrestling to still thrive. Let's let him go get his Olympic medal. Then after that, he can decide. And, of course, after he did that, he decided to stay in the sport. The sport made some changes about how people were compensated. But the point being is there was a gap between college and then winning the Olympics and then what he wanted to do. This guy just finished the NCAAs, I think, for uh, Minnesota, if I'm not – came from the same place as Brock Lesnar. Yes. And, dude, he, he ran – He, I watched him. He ran the fucking table on them. They had nothing for him. Uh After he graduated college, he went right to get the gold medal. So, listen, I don't know what he wants to do, BC. I don't know if he wants to stay in wrestling and get another gold medal. And We had a guy from Cuba, Mijain Lopez, for Greco-Roman. He got four gold medals in, in 08, 12, 16, and now this. Maybe he wants to do that. But the point I'm trying to make here is... There's no gap between graduating college and then three more years. Oh, he's
0: going. Look, there's, there's too much money to be made in either lane. He's not staying I'm saying he's, he's
1: what? He's 21, 22 years old or something, and he's already got an Olympic gold medal. You've already reached the pinnacle of that sport, and now you can go make money and beat the shit out of bozos who aren't even remotely on your athletic level. Dude, this kid could be somebody special. Pay attention.
0: He made uh, reportedly made 250k I don't know where the money comes from but for getting this for, for securing the gold medal and look it's yeah. like think of somebody like Kurt Angle the 96 gold medalist in wrestling who went on to pro wrestling fame and they used the the whole broken freaking neck which Angle won, amazingly won the gold, Olympic gold medal with a broken neck they used that as like his res, pro wrestling story Look at this story Gable Stevenson has, you know, winning the gold medal and come from behind fashion with less than a second to go. What a way to be a future star and then leap through the TV set. Incredible. You mentioned David Taylor, Lukey Russell's at 86 kilograms at freestyle. What is 86 kg in weight, in in pounds, baby? Pounds. Uh, I don't know, like 190 or something? I have to double check. He I'm defeated terrible. Iran's Hassan Yazdani four to three in a very close one. Luke, do yeah. you have any indication what Taylor's future is? I haven't I haven't read up much about this guy. See,
1: Taylor's a little bit longer in the tooth, and I think this is the one he was chasing. I've not heard him say in any interviews what he wanted, but I, I mean, I remember covering him. I, I remember covering the first Taylor versus Dake fight, or not fight, excuse me, match at uh, American University. They had done a USAW. Um, God, what was the exact name of it? I don't remember, but that was like 2011 or 2012. You know, David Taylor is much older now. I think this is the thing he was looking for. I, I wonder if this might be it for him. Even even though the next Olympics is only three years away, I tend to think that he's probably going to go into coaching or something else. I don't... He's never really expressed any desire to do MMA, although one never knows. But um, I, I I think this is probably his pinnacle moment.
0: Yeah, just, just stay away from Fox Catcher Farm, Luke, just in case. Um... All right, that was, not, no, that was not that was that was classless Luke. That was borderline Pat Tillman dig right there. I'm sorry about that. Luke on the boxing side, look, this has been a resurgence for the American men in boxing. The last time a gold medalist American men, Andre Ward 2004 in Athens. Yes, we had Deontay Wilder win a bronze in 08 with seemingly little amateur experience, but Luke, it's been barren since then. Shakur Stevenson, four years ago, won a silver medal and came close. But, Luke, we had three men. And by the way, female boxing in the Olympics is only eight years old, and Clarissa Shields won two gold already, so she's been fantastic. But men's side this year has been very, very good stuff. Uh, Duke Reagan at featherweight came as close as you can come, uh, going through a nice run of four straight wins, got into the gold medal match against Albert Batyr-Gaziev of Russia and unfortunately came up empty, getting swept across the three rounds Uh, The Russian was much, uh, the Southpaw was just much busier than him. Reagan tried to rally for a knockout late, could not pull the trigger there, Luke. But he has looked like a a fine future pro prospect and fought great. Two more men on the American side have gold possibilities as we close down. One, Keyshawn Davis, Luke, remember this name, just 22 years old from Norfolk, Virginia. He Mm -hmm. was supposed to be in the 2020 Olympics, then he... Skipped some mandatory training camp. They cut him from the team. He ended up getting a, a a redemptive exemption to get back on. He will be in the gold medal match at lightweight against Cuba's Andy Cruz. Here's the hook, though, Luke. Andy Cruz is 3-0 against Keyshawn Davis in international competition. Davis was mm. about to turn pro, but he... Went back for the Olympics here. He has looked spectacular. He's a technician. He has a great chance, people are thinking, even though he's lost a cruise three times because of how good he has looked in these rounds. This should be a very good match. I believe it's Sunday morning for folks who want to check it out. And one more American light heavyweight Richard Torres Jr., a big southpaw. Luke, he'll be fighting in the gold medal match against Uzbekistan's Bako Deer Jalolov in the hook here, Luke. And speaking of hook, Jalolov sent Torres to hell, knocked him out cold in the 2019 World Championships in the quarterfinals. They will be getting a rematch here in the gold medal. And also on the women's side, Welterweight O'Shea Jones won a bronze medal for USA um, at Welterweight. So good stuff here, Luke, from American Boxing, which had been a, a laughingstock, a joke, really, in, in, in international circles on the Olympic level of late.
1: Uh, yes, by the way, you didn't mention the um, – well, first of all, let me ask you a question. How are the Olympic women's boxing doing at all for the for uh, Americans?
0: I just mentioned O'Shea Jones won a bronze. That was our highest finisher uh. from what I've seen. Uh, Ginny Fuchs was, uh, was a favorite, but she unfortunately did, did not medal.
1: See, O'Shea, I thought was a dude's name. I apologize. Um, That's okay. That's okay. Uh, but you didn't mention Tamira Mensa stock the American woman who got a gold medal in wrestling, we should not go without noticing. In twenty, yes. I, I noted this dude in twenty twenty. Obviously, you know the world collapsed or whatever. But in twenty nineteen, before all that, she had won the Yerrigan uh, Grand Prix, which is like one of the most prestigious Russian tournaments that there is. She had won the Pan American Championships, the Pan Am Games, and the World Championships. She had gotten gold at all four. She was overdue. There she is, right there, and she won gold this time. And has maybe one of the most infectious attitudes i've ever seen a uh, you know not a born winner but a made winner and um tremendous tremendous athlete
0: yeah and the celebration i saw that by the way it was it was heartwarming and i, I left that out of my rundown accidentally thank you for bringing that up and we have the, the i think uh, also hella Marulis got bronze if i'm not mistaken hey uh, has american women's wrestling had any kind of history or how, how uh recent was that added as a uh olympic sport luke
1: i'm not i i'd be speaking out of turn i'm not okay. sure okay okay
0: I'll have to ask my good buddy Lee Selker, a former Duke wrestler, who keeps me up to date in the DMs. Thank you, sir. All right, Luke, let's head on over to some quick hitters to close out here as we set the weekend. Uh, Luke, boxing-wise, Canelo Alvarez will not be fighting Caleb Plant uh, this September, but it looks like According to Eddie Hearn, Canelo is close to signing a deal for October to fight light heavyweight champion Dimitri Bivol, who has that WBA strap. But the key here, Luke, Bivol fights at 175, but he has been claiming forever that he can make 168 if he needs to for a big fight. And Eddie Hearn is saying it could be a catchweight bout, maybe around that 168-170 area, but still have Bivol's 175-pound title at stake if this happened, Luke, considering Canelo already went up to the full 175 to beat Kovalev, he is threatening to take the belt from Better beef or the two belts, sorry, in a showdown we all want to see. Would you have any uh, misgivings about Canelo doing the catchweight route in this case?
1: No. Uh, this is m- significantly more interesting than the Caleb Plant fight. I'm sorry. The Caleb Plant fight has more significance in the sense that it would be this complete unification of the weight class and yeah obviously Caleb Plant is talented I know you think very highly of him I do think he's he's quite good but uh while the catch weight would not be ideal with Bivol it would lead to potentially a fight with the real hammer at 175 pounds and Paterbiev which is the one I've been wanting to see for a while now and so I would much rather see and by the way it's also the perfect test because if you can't beat Bivol at a at a catchweight, you don't have a fucking prayer against Paterbiev so Let's see what he looks like there. To me, in terms of just like interesting fights versus interesting stakes, and there's interesting stakes in this one too, but this fight is way more interesting to me than the Caleb Plant fight. If you don't don't know
0: Bivol, he is a very technical fighter, uh, a big light heavyweight despite the fact that he said he can cut down in weight. He's tall, so this should be a very interesting technical matchup. Luke, I spoke out of turn. They're still targeting September, not October. Eddie Hearn said September 18th. Mexican Independence Day weekend is still the target for this fight if they can get it done. The catch weight would be somewhere between 68 and 75. So interesting stuff right there. Let's keep it moving here, Luke. Fedor Emelianenko finally has an opponent for Bellator Moscow and his return to his native country. This fight goes down October 23rd. It will be on Showtime. We don't know what time of day. It will air live, though, in the States. But, Luke, we were talking about uh, Josh Barnett threw his name in there. Jake Hager wanted him. We were like, what are we going to do? Rematches with Matt Mitrione, Fabricio Verdum, JDS? No. Fedor will take on American Timothy Johnson, who last fought for the Bellator interim heavyweight title in June. A good showing, but came up empty against Valentin Moldovsky. Luke, the hook here is that Fedor was in Moldovsky's corner as lead trainer. For this, so he got a good look at Johnson, and that's the direction we're going. Your thoughts?
1: This is a dud for me. I think this is a real miss by Bellator. Candidly, I don't, I don't get size for this one at all. Um, I like Timothy Johnson. Uh, I thought he fought quite ably against Moldovsky. I think he has really improved his career, and there's a part of me that's obviously very glad for him to get opportunities like this. But just as a fight fan. Um, I'm not really all that interested in seeing, interested, excuse me, in seeing Fedor compete at this stage anyway. And if it was going to happen to me, it needed to make sense. Like you got this kind of like historic royalty, there should be something kind of matching that or making this otherwise interesting. This doesn't really do it for me at all, uh, quite frankly. And I think I I I really I don't understand what Bellator was thinking here. Like what what, what yeah. were like if you're trying to save on costs because. You don't want a big payroll when you already got to pay Fedor? Okay, I can sort of understand that. But even with that, it's like, this one fell completely flat for me.
0: It's hard for me to to, to really defend this. When I heard it, I was, you know, oh, come on. Now, look, the pluses, Luke, if there are any, is that, you know, I talked to Johnson, by the way, when this news broke, and, you know, he's like, Fedor still got power, but, you know, I'm not going in there to get a decision. I'm going to try to get out of there as quickly as possible. We know it's going to be a war. All Fedor fights are at this point. He's going to come in there, quick hands, go for the knockout, and he's either going to get you or you'll get him. I think the negative side is name value mixed with, I think you'd have to favor Johnson to win this. So not only is this like a fight that doesn't grab you, Fedor's got a great chance of losing it. I just felt like, Luke, Not this is not his retirement bout, by the way, although he could retire if he loses. He does have an additional fight, I'm told, under his Bellator deal. So it's not necessarily that... Why not do Jake Hager, who's who's you know Jack Swagger, the the wrestler, you know all American persona, would go in there and probably get sent to hell, and the fans go wild in Moscow, Luke. And Hager, by the way, is a top ten heavyweight. Given that the pool isn't that deep in Bellator, that seemed to be perfect. But what do I know, Luke? Johnson is very able and capable of winning this fight. uh, So there's a lot of
1: times, man, where I look at Bellator's roster. You and I have had this conversation. Listen, anything I say critically about Bellator, I do not say out of malice. Or, or mean intent. I merely say it because it would be what I would say about UFC if they did something like this too. It's yeah. exactly the same. They've got interesting names on the roster. That's not that's a challenge for them that they don't have, obviously, the UFC's roster. But they've got some decent names on there. I often find their choices about how they get paired or what place they hold on the card. Now, obviously, this will be the main event, so that's not really relevant. But you, know, you and I have talked about this before. There are some head-scratching decisions from them. I... This one is top of the list for me. I really yeah. don't get this one at all.
0: I mean, I, dude, I would have taken Czech Congo. I would have taken uh, Sergei Karatamov. I mean, you know, like I could, I could give you a long list of guys. But, you know, I did ask Johnson, do you think that your fight with Moldovsky served as a tryout because Fedor was watching? He goes, yeah, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, though. He goes, I don't know if Fedor saw something in me that he thinks he can expose or saw my straight-ahead style, and he said, that's perfect for me. So, Luke, we'll watch... It'll probably end in a first round knockout. It'll be fun, but it doesn't have that same pull of "Hey, Fedor's still doing this." Let's get super excited, right? It is right. what it is, that's, right that's
1: there. That's it, exactly.
0: All right, right. Luke. Uh, Jan Blahowicz, of course, is going to defend his light heavyweight title under the UFC banner against Glover Teixeira. It's been has it been announced here, I don't have a source that uh, Yuri Prohatska will be the backup for this. Seem like a good idea. Ooh,
1: love that. That guy has been on a tear. He's an animal. He's got a weird fighting style. I think at some point it's going to cost him. But right now, the weirdness is costing everybody else. He is can't miss and uh, love that choice. I mean, obviously, I hope that, you know, and t- listen, especially for Glover. I hope Glover can make it there because he's in his 40s at this point. Like, if he doesn't score this title shot, that's probably a wrap for him as, as, in terms of being a title contender. Um, so, obviously, I, I hope that we don't even have to see Yuri Prohochka. But as a replacement, it's a great call.
0: Very good October call. 30th, Abu Dhabi, UFC 267 is that light heavyweight title bout. It was moved from the original plans for 266. Luke, let's keep it going. BKFC has signed one of its bigger names to date. Former UFC featherweight title challenger two times. And one time on the interim level, Chad Mendes. Luke, this was a shocker to me. Chad had retired on his own doing on his own will there after a a particularly tough loss. And uh, I know he hunts a lot and eats his own jerky, Luke. But uh, your thoughts on Chad taking the gloves off to uh, to go bare knuckling?
1: Well, on the one hand, I think these guys all go to bare knuckle and think, oh, I can easily transition to this. And it's a little bit harder than folks realize. Or at a bare minimum, there are more different variables than they seem to realize at first. So we'll see how he navigates that. On the other hand, you know the dude had by the time he was you know fighting Jose Aldo in the rematch, he had good hands. He had really good hands, powerful. Remember he he flatlined Ricardo Lamas with a single shot, basically. Um, So I actually feel like you know depending on the right opponent and depending on the the approach that he takes, could be good. Could be good for him actually. So I I, that one's one of the dude. I'm telling you, like Dave Feldman out of BKFC. That dude is not a chump, man. He's pretty smart about how he picks up on some of these things. And I got to also say, BKFC is definitely at this point, for now anyway, we'll see how long it lasts or whatever, but BC, you, you got to recognize, just as I do, these are some fighters that may have gone to PFL or Bellator before, and now BKFC is kind of pulling them off. Like, Chad Mendez would have been an interesting one. For, I mean, think about adding him to a 145-pound division. Like, wouldn't you want to see him versus Pitbull or McKee or even Sanchez? Hell yeah, Luke. Like, exactly, right? And he went over to BKFC. Like, they're pulling away, they're making it harder for the non UFC MMA entities to score some of the names that they otherwise would have been able to score.
0: You wonder what he what he made to sign with this. Uh, he hasn't fought since 2018 when he returned from a two and a half year or two year, two plus year USada suspension. He knocked out Miles Jury and then was finished by Alexander Volkanovsky in December of that year. He's 36 years old. Luke should be very but interesting. But remember,
1: remember, he dropped Volkanovsky early in that fight with a monstrous punch. So even in that fight, he showed he's got some dynamite in his hands.
0: Uh Luke, final note here. Uh Kamar Usman was on a I don't even know what podcast. Mike, you got to, de- or maybe that's on me. I got to detail this better. Uh, but in this chat, Kamara Usman says he legitimately believes he can outbox Canelo Alvarez and is willing to do it, wants to do it, and says there's basically nothing he doesn't feel he can't do if he puts his mind to it. And outboxing and beating Canelo Alvarez in the boxing ring is one of those things. Luke, this seems like heavy clout chasing from me. Um, but I guess MMA's endgame is still cashing out on the boxing side. See, this yeah. is,
1: yeah, again, the end game of MMA is to apparently go and thoroughly lose a boxing fight where you are richly rewarded, you know? Um, listen, kamara's an amazing champion, and he's an amazing MMA fighter. I don't think anyone in welterweight is as good as he is, and if he keeps going, he might be one of the best, if not the best. We'll see. But in boxing, I mean, please, can we fucking... I mean, I remember Jorge Masvidal was saying the same... He won in Canelo fights, too, and like, oh, we stand different. Blah, 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 blah. Like, no. No. Like, you don't have a chance at winning. Um, So, no.
0: Look, I'm not even sure he can outbox Colby Covington. I mean, he kind of barely did, but, you know, I'm not even sure he can do it again. But uh, I love Usman. He's getting better every day on the feet in the MMA space. This was an Instagram Live with the fans, so maybe you got to take a grain of salt. But he said if he puts his mind to it, Luke... He can do anything. I know.
1: These guys have to tell themselves a series of lies to achieve. Like when you're tired in practice, you have to tell yourself you're not tired. And when you're kind of hurt, mm. but you know you're not that hurt, you have to tell yourself you're not hurt. And you begin to, you begin to realize that's a mechanism for self empowerment. The problem is, there's your, your your body when you get tired and it tells you to stop. Your body is rationally trying to save you a little bit, at least what it thinks is you know if you're if you're hurt, hey stop. If you're tired, hey sit down. These are common things your body would do to control it. So you end up elevating your performance, but you begin to turn off the rational portion of your brain because you think you can achieve anything. If you just shut off the doubts that comes naturally, but the reality is that you can do those things and you should do do those things to build yourself up, but you can get lost drinking that Kool-Aid, so to speak. You can get lost
0: um, in the intoxication of how that works. And you can get worked as well. All right, Luke, uh, little unscheduled piece of art dropped i had teased it could happen this week and it did yesterday morning combat Doncumentary 4.0 titled selling out has hit the streets i want to throw to a clip now if you don't mind gaff of uh what people can find right now youtube.com slash morning combat 20 it's 26 minutes of your life take the plunge here it is doc 4.0 Revolver. I gotta get my hands on it. Let me go all loose with it. Hey, oh, no, no, I, I don't,
1: I don't, I don't, This is the highest they got. Make sure you put that in the top. 30 is the highest dumbbell they have. Understand?
0: No it may look good now, but what you guys don't know is we had to pause our workout for 45 minutes so we could go tear
1: porcelain over there. I had what could only be described as an unbelievable shit attack have to hinge at the hip. There is a
0: difference. He means well, I'll tell you that. He knows, he knows some shit. He knows some shit, alright?
1: thinks he's the weights. He actually never
0: lifting weights. But you has been mislabeled in STD. I think that's unfair. You got energy for that? That's, straight, that's Latin stretching. That's how the Caribbean's, you know, The Caribbean used to stretch that way. Oh, yeah. Now, Luke, I'll say this. This didn't have the same storyline, you know, consistency of, let's say, Doc 2, which might be our best. But the early returns on Less Than Jake, our documentarians' work production-wise, bells and whistles is that this might be the best in show. I know you had a chance to see it. Seriously, what was your honest take on Doc 4.0?
1: It was good. It's the. It's for sure. the. It, well, I mean, we've only had two since the, the second one, but I thought three was a disaster. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> three was a concept album, Luke. It was abstract. It was
1: Three, yeah. was, three was Saint Anger. I mean, y'all put that together, <laughs> you know, out of nothing. I, I was like, what the fuck is this? This one was much better, in part because... You know, we were in Miami, so they could shoot it, and like it had a cohesive kind of concept. And uh, and I, by the way, I played ball. I played ball. I you know, I, I did what I was supposed to do for this thing. So uh, I'm not saying that made, or bro- or broke it, but it made a broke. it did all little the better.
0: You blew off one shoot, so we didn't get your no, confessionals. No, 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 no. No. I
1: didn't blow it off.
0: They were supposed to schedule it, and it never happened. That no, that's the truth. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure about that. I will say you played ball more than normal. It was in uh, our guy, Jake. Uh, look, I understand the public's reaction. This is way too long of a turnaround. I agree. Jake is also one man who has very serious responsibilities separate from this, including shooting and editing all access. But uh, uh, just great work from Jake to take. Almost nothing and make something with it, Luke. A behind the scenes look at our coverage of Mayweather Paul in Miami and also a little postscript from our live show in Vegas down the stretch of it. So very good content if you check it out. I guess it'll never be, Luke, a commercial success, but critically it is just
1: You know, this is this is uh, this is uh, death magnetic after um, after St. Anger.
0: Yes, yes. With a thank you to the uh to the, the Greater Washington DC dispensaries for uh for fueling our documentary. Luke, by the <laughs> way, true story here. There was supposed to be an entirely arching Pennington James story angle. Jake shot Pennington James on the piano and those all this stuff. He lost the footage, Luke. It like they like broke and disappeared and, and got exposed or something and it just probably a good thing in the end, Luke.
1: Wow. You act like, you know, this was the Notre Dame Cathedral catching on fire. We lost priceless artifacts. We lost footage of a zero. I mean, in, wow. in, in many
0: ways, we just leveled up. All right. All right. I got to get this thing going. I got Manny Pacquiao coming up soon. Luke, let's hit up a segment we do every Friday. Morning Combat at gmail.com is where you send in our infractions of the week. It's called Dead Raw. Alright, these are the things we said wrong, and normally the people are wrong when they try to point it out. Here we go, Luke. This is from Ian. Good morning, hope all are well. This one's for Luke. Beginning at the hour and 20 minute mark of Have You Seen This Shit, Luke is commenting on a Segway rider falling over near Freedom Plaza in Washington, D.C. While Luke did get the street ride of Pennsylvania Ave, he is incorrect on the location of the White House. In the video, the White House is to the right. Luke says it's to the left. In the video you can even see the Capitol building to the left. I know this because oh, I work I must for the de- spoken, yeah. I work for the Department of Commerce, which is just on the corner there at Fourteenth and Pennsylvania. Luke is also incorrect that Freedom Plaza is a skate park, although you do see skaters there every day. No, it's fuck.
1: no 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 no. It's a skate park. It's not a formal skate park. Go by right now, you'll see f- fucking uh, two dozen skaters out there.
0: Well, Ian says uh, the activity is still illegal in that ward of D.C., and I've witnessed several incidents with skaters and cops. With all that said, love the show more than any other in the MMA space. All the best from your favorite D.C. native, Ian McInerney, who is also an attorney, and y'all are wrong nearly every time you speak about the law, particularly B.C., Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> hey, all right, Ian.
1: All right, he's, Ian Nash. He's right that it's not an official skate park at all. In fact, there are signs that prohibit it. The skaters just ignore it.
0: All right, all right, Ian Nash. Why don't you uh, why don't you show me some, uh, some proof there, all right? Show me the receipts. All right, Luke, uh, here we go from Thomas and John. Hey, guys, first time ever writing into the show, and I'm coming in hot with a dead wrong. On episode 83 of Luke's live chat, he referred to the directors of The Matrix as the Wachowski Brothers? Wachowski when,
1: is what I pronounce it. Is it Wachowski? What ta- is it?
0: When talking about his top three directors, they are professionally known as the Wachowskis or the Wachowski sisters. Both are out as transgender women right. with Lana Wachowski completing her transition in '08 and Lily in 2016. Big fan of the show from England. MK all day. Something something BDE and using the word R as a verb.
1: That is, that is a fair correction. I, I only said brothers because uh, I, it's imprinted in my brain from watching the first one. That's how they're identified. That's how they used to be identified. But fair enough, I should have updated myself. I got it wrong.
0: Yeah, they and them indeed, Luke. All right, right, I'm, I'm shout out to those. Great movie. great Great film. Great fucking film. I didn't see the sequels and I won't, Luke, but great film. Okay. Let's keep it going here. This is from Jose. Jose Alonso here from Brazil, the guy that makes really bad memes for fan subs. I've got it dead wrong. Monday, August 2nd. Luke said Rafael Fiziev is Azerbaijani. That's dead wrong. Now, to be fair to Luke, Fiziev's father is from or has Azerbaijani descent, where his mother has Russian descent. But Rafael is actually Kyrgyzstani, although he was born in Kazakhstan. Just like our great flyweight champ, Valentina mm. Shevchenko, I completely understand Luke's mistake, mostly because Fiziev's origins are as confusing as Brian's taste in adult content. So I'll <laughs> give it a pass. Love you guys. Hope you're having a great Friday from one of your biggest fans ever since day one. All right.
1: Good go. Good correction. I'll take it.
0: But Luke, did you see in the doc the happiness of, of our guy Aaron from Washington presenting you with that with that bag full of meat? I love that moment in the doc, by the way.
1: He... He's weird, but he's a great weird. So <laughs> he's like, I, he's like
0: it's all we got. It's all we got up here in Washington, Luke. So here you go. Here's my meat for you. All, like, right. all right, um, Luke, this was sent in by seven different people, specifically Ian. Hi again, it's Ian, not Lane. It's pronounced Ian. Uh, on Monday's episode of Have You Seen the Ship, Brian sets up the clip of Cheyenne buys I'll follow you home bitch line. By saying it came after she beat Montserrat Ruiz, actually Bayes lost that fight embarrassingly by getting head and arm thrown by Conerho, uh, for nearly the entire 15 minutes and having made pre-fight comments disparaging that very technique of Ruiz. For what it's worth, Montserrat denies spitting on her.
1: Oh, I see. And you had said it was the opposite, that she had won that fight. But no, she was 1-1 one one in the UFC, so...
0: Yeah, I I screwed that up. I will take the L. She did not beat Montserrat. I thought she did. I didn't look that close. All right, here we go. My main man BC with the BDE was dead wrong at the 1 hour 36 minute mark of episode 186 while discussing Luke's confusion over Pat Berry's African roots. When mentioning Rose Namajunas, BC referred to her as Pat's wife despite the two actually not being married. The couple mm. is rather engaged. Simplest mistake, but I'm afraid you were dead wrong. By the way, BC, I once went to Club Supersex in Montreal, like you mentioned, and dropped 400 in one night. Ooh. That dark and evil place will rinse you of every dollar you have. That being said, hit me up next time you're in Montreal, and the cost of your first dance is on me. Keep it up, fellas. The show is better than ever. Sincerely, your best fan north of the border. Greg, I don't... Uh, Inhabit those dens of sin anymore, but back when I used to, oh, that, Luke, that place is like, um, what's the best thing ever? Citizen Kane of, that's the Citizen Kane of that type of club, Luke. I mean, that thing is just top shelf, okay? You ever I've been heard there on the C-?
1: Montreal strip clubs are not to be trifled
0: with. There is, no, there is, there's things that happen there, Luke. I've I, I seen it, okay? Bogo, you were there too. You've seen it too. Wow, wow, bro. All right, um, I almost spilled this water all over myself, Luke. That would have been apropos. Hey, that's dead wrong for the week. Um, We're going to skip tips, Luke, because I got Manny Pacquiao in a few minutes. But I did want to bring up one thing that went down this morning. Oh, yeah? Cause, What's that? Because I see everything, Luke. Okay? All right? There's a show called uh, UFC Weigh-In on UFC Fight Pass hosted by people I really like. Laura Sanko, uh, Daniel Cormier, Gosh. Michael Chandler was there today. Yo, this is and the- Luke, they debuted... A new segment! Can we go to this videotape here, Gaff? Please? We're not gonna hear it, but Luke. Er, can we hear it, Gaff? Is that possible? Actually, can I change the script here? Now, oh, forget it. I'll- Wow, that yeah. wheel looks. A familiar. little time lapse here. Mm. At this What's joke, that wheel called? He here see? at I, I, I've seen it before. This I think it was wheel called of Wheel Death? of Death. I don't know, but He's Luke, up. this He's is called. called of extremely proud of that. Like wheel and of. And what the are they thing. calling it? Everybody wanted to get involved,
1: including our director and Giordano with all the demonstrations. So he said, "Hey guys, oh. let me show you how I do it."
0: <laughs> Look at it, <AEG. laughs> What? Yeah. You
1: see, A.G.
0: Yep. is looking as good as you can on a beach like that in Hawaii. In full clothes. I mean, in look at close. how good yeah. <laughs> A.G. looks out there.
1: With his credential. This his should credential.
0: be A.G. Like, he should be on the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated. I would definitely pay money to not see A.G. <laughs> in a swimsuit issue. Uh, R.J. Clifford in the house. Oh, you listen back. to him on XM radio as well. The uh, finest stage manager in the yes. game. So, we're going to do the first spin of the Wheel of Misfortune now. Okay. Do you so want to spin it? Already? I... I We haven't run any of this by legal, so we figured we'd just demonstrate on me first because if I go down, the show can continue. You guys go down, it's anarchy. Okay, Okay, I think I've
1: seen enough. It looks vaguely familiar, BC. I've
0: seen enough to know I've seen too. Is there Latina big booties on there by any chance? So here's the deal, Luke. They say, um, what's that phrase about flattery? And it's, uh, stealing,
1: sincerest form of uh, well, I- imitation is the sincerest form of
0: flattery. We didn't invent a spinning wheel. I think Pat Sajak might have, but uh, Luke. Normally, that that that's an apt phrase when it's someone below you. But this is the damn UFC, so you know what I'm gonna say, Luke. I know that people want me to say it, so how about it? Fuck that, <laughs> UFC weigh-in. You're taking everything I work for, motherfucker. I'm gonna fight your fucking ass. <laughs> You know what's the real show? What's the real money show? Me, MK, us. Not these clowns that you already punked in the press conference. Ain't nobody want to see that. You know you can't beat them already. It's an easy show. You want the real shit? It's right here. Look what the hell's going on right now.
1: Let let them know, BC. That's been your baby. And uh, listen, I like Lorisenko and DC and RJ Clifford's my boy. We were just at a wedding together and, and everyone else on that stage is great. But the producer who did that, you are a fucking thief, my friend. And we see it. Everybody sees it. But we agree, BC. Here's how you know Wheel of Death is good. Them motherfuckers at the UFC show, they just took it. So that lets you know we're doing something right.
0: Uh, the Wheel of Dismemberment, Wheel of bad news. I don't know what they call it, but Luke, do you think... You, you know I entertain a conspiracy now, or now and then. You and I are up for the World MMA Awards Best MMA Show. There is a show on there, Luke, that's um, no longer a show that we're up against. I think it's called uh, DC and the Canadian, Luke. Mm-hmm. You think DC is lamenting the loss of that show, so he may have been in on the idea here of just uh, of just... Hey, Hey, hey DC. Love you, guy. Alright, you're one of the one of the best fighters in UFC history, one of the best quotes, by the way, that we can, you know, great broadcaster. I I didn't watch the show you used to have. Sorry that it got canceled. I heard you have a new one, but um, here's the deal, DC. You don't want to fuck around with us. Fuck around and get resume reviewed. <laughs> we'll,
1: we'll ruin any chance you have of going to BKFC. <laughs> Oh uh, wow. yeah, they took that they took that shit. I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says, they took that shit. So, what, it is what what's it is.
0: next? Have you seen this poop? Luke, what's next here? I mean, come on. <laughs> Have you seen this feces? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Brand new. Yo, yo. All right. Hey, we're all having fun here. But yeah, you stole you stole that shit, bro. All right. Thank you very much. Uh Luke, you got anything else to say before we get out of here? Nah, man. Um, uh, oh, uh,
1: you know what? Yes. Thanks to everybody who sent me nice birthday wishes. I got a bunch of DMs. I got a bunch of emails, blah, blah, blah. Thank you. Thank you to everybody. That was very, very sweet of you. It made my birthday very special. I appreciate
0: it. Luke is 4'2". Uh, Jackie Robinson birthday. Little little less little less washed than me at 43, but Luke, congratulations to another year around the world. Um, nice thank you to Gaff Pierre, Sally, Mikey Morms. Al Wendling, all our great folks behind the scenes pushing the ones and twos today, making this show happen. Thank you to our fine listeners. Like, subscribe, please. Uh, the push to 100K is ever so frightening close. We're going to get there. Luke, we do have some big plans for the future. You and I are going to take this, this, this ish on the road the next few months, a couple different places, do mm-hmm. some live coverage. Very much looking forward to that. So, some some big news will be announced, but we're going to just continue reaching for the moon. Check out our interviews. We got Errol Spence, we got Cyril Gahn. Going to wrap up Manny Pacquiao, hopefully just after this closes. But for the great, for the great Luke Thomas, I'm Brian Campbell reminding you, get vaxxed. Just Just get it done, okay? Please get it done. For my family and yours, much love. BC, we out.